0: When both Bismack, Biombo, and Jalen Smith have poster dunks in one game, you know things are getting wonky for the Phoenix Suns. We'll talk about what we can learn from these two games this weekend on the road on the East Coast, what we maybe can't learn, what it could mean for the future. We'll have some fun breaking down this crazy stretch of basketball in the Valley coming up on Locked on Suns. Network, your team every day. We are back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Brendan Clean. Covering the Suns the past five seasons, it's a credentialed media member, a contributor at suns.com, as well as Dime Magazine. Hello, happy Monday. Thank you for making Locked On Suns your first listen every single day. The best way to support the show is exactly what you are already doing. So a big thank you for that. That is to watch and to listen. So welcome to the YouTube channel. Welcome on Spotify, Apple, wherever you are listening. Thank you for doing that again. And the best way beyond that is to hit that subscribe button right below you, right above you, wherever it may be. Maybe look over at your phone, click in, unlock it, hit subscribe, hit follow and join along for the ride. We're here every day, and we have a lot to talk about. So let's get right to it. 123-108 Suns loss to the Boston Celtics on Friday, followed up with a massive spanking of the Charlotte Hornets here on Sunday night a few moments ago. As I'm recording this, 133-99. And... Obviously, as the scores indicate, a tale of two games. In the first game, uh, Boston's bench and shooting just really guided them. Uh, They shot 54% from the field, but most importantly, they were 37% from deep. Josh Richardson, Romeo Langford, Peyton Pritchard just lit them up. They scored 46 points off the bench compared to, in the competitive part of the game, single-digit bench points for the Suns. Obviously, Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown and everybody, it just, everything was clicking for the Celtics, and the Suns were never quite able to get their arms around things in that game. Early game, 11 a.m. local time, 1 a.m. or one p.m. Boston time, they cut it to 12, I believe, in the third quarter, and then Boston just blew it back open, and they were never able to uh, cut it. They were never able to really get within striking distance, Phoenix. Um, Jalen Smith in that game, five fouls, so... They had to play Emmanuel Terry a lot. They had to go incredibly small quite a bit with Ish Wainwright. So, sort of a worst-case scenario game, followed by, on Sunday, a best-case scenario game. Jalen Smith, not in foul trouble, has an incredible performance, 19-12 and for him, continues to just rack up double-doubles with his energy and the open shots that he's getting. And most importantly, the three-point shot the the three ball just completely came alive for the Suns and 17 of 41 for them it's where I want to go it's where I want to go with these thoughts because if there's anything that I think ties these two games together with how different they really were it's the importance of of shooting and the fact that it does I mean frankly first and foremost it decides a ton of games in the NBA these days and that's that's re- that's the reality and this this weekend was sort of a gut check for that for the Suns. You cannot severely lose the three-point battle in a game and expect to win. You can you, maybe you can lose it here and there, but for the most part, you're going to need to equal or I- improve upon your opponent's three-point percentage to be competitive with them and and beat them. I mean, Chris Paul maybe knows that better than anybody with the way that the Houston Rockets fell by missing those 27 in a row. It's just really hard to dig yourself out of that hole if it gets there, and that's what happened on Friday morning. 31% for the Suns, 37% for the Celtics, and the Suns actually made one more three, but when you just miss 24 shots like that, you allow the opponent to capitalize, you allow the opponent to control the pace of the game, and you allow your opponent to, com- to constantly be attacking A defense that is not set, and that's what we saw. On the other end, of course, the Suns lit up the basket on Sunday, and I think that's obviously the more that's closer to what we should expect to see from this team, and that's kind of the most exciting part of this thing. Yes, Jalen Smith caught a dunk, uh, caught a pass on the roll from a quick side pick and roll in transition from Chris Paul, and ended Mason Plumlee's life, and of course. We will talk about Jalen Smith later on. We will also talk about the other posterizer in this game, which was Bismack Biombo, who made his sudden debut after on the last time I talked to you guys, we didn't even know if he was, uh, we didn't even know he was on anybody's radar in the NBA. Now here he is getting a nice dunk of his own in traffic to the tune of 11 points and six rebounds, a plus 19 for Biombo. So nice little coming out party for him on his former home floor, where he played for several seasons in Charlotte. We'll get to all of that. But the three-point shot, it's going to look more like this for the Suns than it will what happened on Friday. And that should be, uh, I mean, everybody should be getting up and, and clapping about what we just saw them do to put the beat down on the Charlotte Hornets. That game is not out of the ordinary for the Suns, and that's what's so exciting about it. You even consider that Devin Booker was only three of nine, Chris Paul was only one of three. It was really the role players who just completely ate tonight. Chris, uh, Cameron Johnson, three of six. Mikael Bridges, three of five. Cameron Payne, two of four. Landry Shamet, five of eight. They took 41 of these shots. They got 36 assists, 16 of those coming from Chris Paul. This, to me, is exactly the type of thing you could imagine happening in the first round of the playoffs because last year was such a fluke with the Lakers being there and and suddenly healthy early in that series and one of the more random and crazy first round opponents that you can imagine in the NBA ever for a healthy Lakers squad the defending champions to be a first round opponent the Suns are going to face a pretty mediocre to bad team relative to you know relative to them and the western conference being pretty weak at the bottom this year they're going to have a pretty tasty matchup in that first round series, and this is the type of thing that they can do to teams. They can just blow teams out, like straight up blow teams out. We've seen it. And this is by you know by no means the first time we've seen it this season, but that was uh, it. It was sort of a wake up call for me about that. This in this game because you know they didn't even have their full armada of players. Jay Crowder did not obviously play in this game, and DeAndre Ayton and Javale McGee's downward rim pressure to open up those shooters that wasn't even there this was you know tons of minutes for unproven commodities new players guys who have not played a lot of NBA basketball and yet they were still able to put up this kind of offensive performance granted Charlotte's defense is awful but three-pointers decide NBA games more often than we probably want to admit it and the Suns are going to have a shooting advantage in almost every single game that's the bottom line. This weekend was a reminder of how important that is and why it's important for the Suns to focus on getting their shooters open and getting them in rhythm and playing them as much as possible and uh, and what they can do when all that happens. So we'll talk about the other stars of the show. As I said, Jalen Smith, Bismack, Biombo. We cannot leave anybody out. It was a fun game. It was a crazy game. It was a crazy weekend, frankly. So I want to talk about Bismack, Biombo, But first... Another of my favorite alliterative double B phrases, and that's Bilt Bar. <laughs> it's the New Year, so that means we all love to make New Year's resolutions. If yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure you include Built Bar in your plan. Bilt Bar is the protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar or maybe even better. Bilt Bar makes it easier to stick to your resolution because it tastes so good, you actually want to eat it. That's the big difference here. I have to admit, I was skeptical. We've all tried protein bars. We've all tried breakfast bars, that are recommended to us, or we see them on TV or whatever, and you're like, okay, sure, it's on sale at the store, I'll grab one. Well, And then you throw the box away, because they're disgusting. Bilt Bar completely wrapped me in the minute that I tried one, because they really are delicious. They walk the walk, guys. Covered in 100% chocolate, soft and easy to chew. No more than 17 grams of protein. You're not really getting over 150 calories. Rarely are you going to get over 5 grams of sugar in any single built bar compared to, you know, 250 calories, 30 grams of sugar, dozen net carbs in your average protein bar. So not only do they taste better, they're actually even healthier as well. So even if you're not a huge fan of working out, at least you can eat something that tastes good and is good for you this new year. Enjoy a delicious built bar and you can even maybe throw it in there and count it as a workout by itself. Go to built.com use promo code LOCK15 to get 15% off your next order. That's promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at built.com. We are back talking about the man of the hour, Jalen Smith, finally getting an opportunity to play, let alone shine. And shine is exactly what he did. Want to break down the second year big man's performance so far this year? Why I continue to think that he is getting underrated? Well, I don't know. Maybe I'll, I'll dig into what the deal was with the option and all of that. And then we'll talk about Bismack Biombo because... All of these things are tied together in terms of roster spots and depth and rotation and all of that stuff. So, lots to get to. I wanted to remind you guys all to check out our Locked On Now show as well. It's a YouTube product. It is extremely, extremely convenient. If you missed the NBA action from the previous night, check out Locked On Now. It'll recap every game with voices like yours truly. The local experts talking about all the games. It's a great way to catch up. Maybe throw some highlights on, maybe compliment it with locked on now and, and don't miss a thing. But Jalen Smith again against Boston, a double-double. Uh, actually, no, I I misspoke. 19 and 7. I felt like he he got there on the rebounds. His his offensive boards have just been phenomenal. Uh 19 and 12 against Charlotte. So that all contributes to part of i mean that's the obvious part of his value right i mean the offense is clearly the the biggest factor that i think has come come quickest i would say it's the ability to just make shots uh make you know interior buckets dunks and layups on the roll couldn't get much easier to do with chris paul feeding you we've seen many a big man look good and get paid doing that but but jalen is doing it Not just the poster dunk, but all all sorts of different ones inside. And then, of course, the offensive glass. And that's the place... I mean, the rebounding was the number one, probably best thing about him from the moment that we ever saw him at Maryland in his freshman year. And then he improved upon that in his sophomore year. And if you're building a case about him and what what was going to work in the NBA, you probably were not going to say many things before you started mentioning his rebounding because it was so off-the-charts good. So that's not necessarily a surprise, but it's still worth mentioning he's rebounding 17% of opponent misses so far this season that's astronomical i mean that would be the top of the top in the nba if it were to be you know something he actually did for a full season now i don't anticipate that you know you get into a scouting report basketball goes back to normal and you're not playing against backups and whatever and <clears throat> some of the stuff that's going on now uh, would not sustain but Nevertheless, it's pretty incredible, and it's not just from this stretch. It's for his whole season. He's played, you know, outside of this stretch as well. But just for reference, Stephen Adams this season was uh, is at seventeen point one percent offensive rebounding. Now Jalen Smith doesn't count because he hasn't played enough, but that's you know league leading type of stuff. On the other end, I think the number one thing that stands out is the uh, shot blocking, and that once again is another thing that stood out for him at Maryland and, and was one of the things that made him such a fascinating prospect. So I guess as I'm talking through that, nothing here is particularly surprising, right? This is not a situation where he's doing something new and and this and that. He's he's just getting the job done, and that's totally fine. But when you dig into the, the advanced numbers, it actually shows he's playing pretty well. He's exceeding what I think anyone is talking about him like. So, uh, estimated plus minus, which is Dunks and Threes, a subscription site that I don't have a subscription to, but they do have this stat available for free for just this season only, which is hopeful for us because he's really only played this season. And he does at a plus 0.3, which means by this metric, he's a little better than average, which is far from the way that I think most, even Suns fans are still talking about this guy. He also is a plus zero point five in box plus minus. Which, if you remember, he's played almost the same exact amount of minutes this season as he ha- as he did last season. And last year, he was at a negative six point one box plus minus, even in garbage time against you know backups in complete non-competitive situations. He still was a minus six point one. So that should show you that the improvements that we might feel like he's Making are actually real. Now, in in these games, I, I would say we kind of got the whole package. Like, yes, he got into foul trouble. Yes, he really struggled to um, you know, consistently defend the rim and defend the paint and be in position. But at the same time, again, he made his shots. He's shooting almost 60% from two-point range this year. He's shooting no, he's shooting 63% from two-point range this year. So I think we saw the good and the bad, but I think what we have to just kind of be honest with ourselves about is the good outweighs the bad more often than not. If you just are looking at what he's being asked to do, which is to give energy to, you know, execute a drop defense by standing as near to the basket as he can get away with and just protecting the rim. And on offense, you know, finish what's there. Rebound if you can on the offensive glass. Ideally make some threes, but even then he's not really taking a lot. If you use that metric, that 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 rubric, he's playing well. I mean, he's doing that. And I I just I think part of it is there's people who still want to judge him from being the 10th overall pick, which has always been a little bit puzzling to me because we all sort of unanimously felt like that was a reach at the time. So the idea that we should treat him like the 10th overall pick in terms of how we judge his performance when we also thought he was a reach doesn't make a lot of sense. If anybody's to blame for reaching for a guy who is a little bit of a project, isn't a very polished player and has a long way to go as a pro, it would be the front office who drafted him, not him. He didn't make himself be overdrafted or or picked a little bit higher than expected that's not on him so the idea that we should hold that against him doesn't make any sense to me and then the other thing I think is like holding him to the standard of being on this team you know like the idea that he is going to be a positive piece when the rest of the roster around him is a championship caliber roster doesn't make a lot of sense to me either when the other guys out there who are the alternatives to him? Are DeAndre Ayton and JaVale McGee, and even Frank Kaminsky? Yeah, I mean Jalen Smith's going to look not great because he's not a veteran player and he doesn't have the. You know, even if you think back, like Ayton and McGee and Kaminsky were all lottery picks. Like those are all guys who had the physical skill and talent to who they should be better than him, right? I mean, it's all sort of like I don't really know if we're if we're using a fair status quo to judge him against and if we're setting a fair standard. So that all brings to me the idea of whether he has actually earned a spot in the rotation or at least the opportunity to keep earning minutes versus this idea that was brought up by Adrian Wojnarowski when the Suns signed Bismack Biyombo to a two-way deal, which is that they potentially could want to keep him, Biyombo for longer. So let's dig into the big man's debut for the Suns. Again, a very surprising performance for Biombo. 11 points and 6 rebounds and looked right at home in the NBA. So let's get all of that going right after a quick break. 11 points and 6 rebounds in 18 minutes. A bench high plus 19 for Mr. Bismack Biombo in his Suns debut. The former Charlotte Hornet twice over, Uh, he was a Bobcat, actually, I believe, during that horrible franchise NBA record, worst winning percentage team, and then, if you all remember, he broke out for the Toronto Raptors and then got a really, really big contract that is unfortunate, because I think it clouded our ability to really kind of accurately judge him, but on the downside of that, he is undersized for a center, he is 6'8", he obviously has no range as a three-point shooter. He's not, not somebody who's going to space the floor for you, not somebody who's going to really post up for you. He he can nail some mid-range jumpers, but really, again, not, not really what you want him to do. Not much of an athlete. So that's where the liability and the limitations start to come in. He is a fantastic rebounder on like a per-minute basis, and we saw that today. With him and Jalen Smith out there, the Suns, you know, were able to able to lean into that as a real strength, and then you throw in the fact that somehow um, Cameron Johnson has been getting on the offensive glass three apiece for Jalen Smith and Bismack Biyombo in this game, and then Cameron Johnson has five across the past two games himself, and the Suns have been in double digits on off on the offensive glass two games in a row. But with Biyombo specifically. The idea that he's going to potentially be somebody the Suns would look at for a longer term roster spot, past this 10-day contract, past this Omicron wave hitting the country and hitting the NBA, it tells us a few things. One is that the Frank Kaminsky injury is pretty serious. And I don't think that's super surprising because um, he's dealt with injuries in the past. Dwayne Rankin on this podcast said that his vibe was that this was a pretty serious thing um and he's already missed oh you know double digit games by easily since he first went out Kaminsky so that's one they feel like they need to replace that roster spot which was already necessary because Dario Saric's roster spot was going to waste while he recovered from his ACL injury so you're basically looking at two big men who don't contribute who you're using roster spots on and I don't know if the Suns ever applied for an injury hardship exception for Dario Saric but they definitely never got one so they're stuck and that's understandable the idea that with all of that in mind you would want to find another big man just to be a body you know for you in case you are down to a situation like this and like it's not going to be COVID every time but when DeAndre Ayton was hurt, they had Kaminsky and McGee back then. Now, if DeAndre Ayton was to go down, or even if Javelle McGee was to go down, you suddenly don't really have a backup center. So that urge is understandable. What I think it obviously goes back to is the other thing that's kind of interesting to just to throw out there about Biombo. I mean, one is, yes, he's not really the rim, you know, the high-flying rim-rolling threat, but I actually think he can do a little bit. You know, he's not going to be a turnover machine if you give him the ball at the elbow and ask him to execute some of that stuff. I think he has been in enough competitive situations at this point where his hands aren't great. He's not an athlete again, but like, I don't think he's just going to be a complete klutz. Like, I think he's a better center than Alfred Payton is as a point guard, as far as like not making mistakes and being detrimental to your team. Like, you can trust him to just go out there, Biombo. So I think that is what it tells us, is that the Suns are just looking for sort of competency. But then the other thing I was going to say, which is the obvious segue here, is it makes you feel like the Jalen Smith thing is still not doing it for them. And maybe, you know, the way that Woj worded it is that they will consider him part of their future plans this season. Maybe what they're waiting for, the other sort of thing they have their eye on then, is what Smith looks like. So if he continues to put up double-doubles in the You know, numbers tell us he's really making, you know, a neutral or positive type of impact for this team. Maybe things change. But I I just think you have to be honest about the fact that they just don't seem committed to him at all. And that's the way to tie these two things together. Smith, I think, is being unfairly evaluated by fans and clearly by this front office, in my opinion, as well. And also, um, that's resulting in, in his lack of a future here. I mean, I, we know they declined his options. So it's not as if this is all much of a surprise, but I guess I just am shocked that nothing seems to be able to change their mind. He's finally getting playing time and he's at least contributing and he's at least executing to a level based, you know, for somebody who has still hasn't even cracked 400 minutes in the NBA yet, I just don't I just don't get that. But setting all of that aside, if that's where we are, which is that they're signing Biombo to basically take over the fourth big man slash third big man role, depending on what's going on with Kaminsky, that Smith had previously occupied because they just still are not convinced about Smith. It starts to beckon about what or what are we looking at here down the line? Because we are not too far quietly from the trade deadline. We're like five, six weeks away. The Suns have been linked to Thaddeus Young for most of the second half of 2021 into 2022 now. And they don't have a roster spot left if they were to keep Bismack Biyombo. So, you know, you would have five big men on the roster. You would have your 15th roster spot that you had been keeping open, now not open anymore. And it's not even about Jalen Smith at that point or, or any sort of trade or whatever. You would also think the Suns would be a pretty ideal buyout landing spot for a lot of players we didn't really end up seeing that come to fruition last year because there just weren't a lot of guys that really made a lot of sense honestly the suns had a pretty deep rotation of players that they liked already and then they got tory craig on the trade market there just wasn't really a hole in their rotation to fill but you would think that they would have been looking this year so if that's all true you're looking at either needing to make a Jalen Smith trade and, and putting pressure on yourself to do that, whether that's for Thad Young, or maybe because you're signing another big man, maybe it would be for a different player. Maybe the reason we haven't seen that Thad trade get done yet is because the Suns don't necessarily feel like that's the biggest need that they have. Maybe they feel like they need another shot creator or another wing defender more so than they need Young, who's more of a, uh, you know, another forward body and, and another big man playmaker type. So... If that's the case, you're again putting pressure on yourself to make a Jalen Smith trade. Or you're going to see the Suns have to look at some odd decisions here. Do you cut Alfred Payton? That's an option. Do you cut Frank Kaminsky? That's an option. I, I don't... And that's like, that. we are so quickly getting to some ugly types of things to think about because I, uh, for two reasons. One, I don't think that James Jones is the type to cut a player who's dealing with an injury, who has been part of the program for three seasons now and Frank Kaminsky. That doesn't seem like a very cultural-minded thing to do if you're trying to keep the morale and buy-in at the highest possible level like we know James Jones wants to do. So I don't think that makes a whole lot of sense. And I also don't think cutting... Anybody, but Alfred Payton, maybe specifically, because I just don't think that Robert Sarver will pay for that. That's a fully guaranteed contract. You are just eating the money of Alfred Payton to leave the roster. It's a minimum, obviously, so it's not as if it's it's a whole ton of money to do the buyout. But we haven't seen that happen in a long time. So I suppose we'll see. But you're, if you're not going to make the Smith deal, if you can't find a Smith deal and you do end up signing Biambo, um, and this is all hypothetical, I mean, obviously I'm just kind of going through the permutations here, but if those both of those things were to happen, you're kind of stuck with the roster and you're looking at a situation where you have to hope that you can figure out a way to buy out one of these players if you want to add a buyout player on your own. Otherwise, of course, the maybe the fifth option or whatever we're at, we're at now is that this is the Suns roster. I mean, not the Paris Basses and the Emmanuel Terrys, but the real roster. And that's it. Those are the guys. I don't know. I don't know if that would make Suns fans happy. It's probably not uh, not enough to make them the, the end-all, be-all contender, uh, leading contender, leading favorite in the NBA heading into the playoffs if their roster is, is the same as it is right now heading into the postseason. So, a lot to think about. We're not too far away, and as crappy as it is to have to be thinking about this stuff while dealing with all the COVID replacements and everything else, that's the reality. The trade deadline is what it is this year, and it's not too far away, and the Suns have some thoughts to have and some decisions to make, and more stuff to come. So, uh, excited to get to through another week with you guys. Thank you for giving me that break on Friday. I did not... Uh, don't anticipate taking a break, but it got to Thursday night and I knew a lot of you guys were out of town and everything else. So I figured, hey, why, why push it? Why put pressure on myself just to do another podcast? So uh, thank you guys all for that. I will be back the rest of the week. we got game recaps and everything else and any big announcement, a big surprise coming on Friday's show, something I've been putting together for a little while and I'm excited to tell you guys about it. So stay tuned throughout the week to hear more there until then I will talk to you tomorrow.